All right, welcome to the show. This is the Vape Week number 12.5. I'm your host, Ed Wolf, and uh, you can reach out to me if you like at Facebook, which is going to be Edward A. Wolf. And if you'd like to send me an email, it's going to be vapingindustry at gmail.com, vapingindustry at gmail.com. So on the show tonight, we're going to have uh, an interview with uh, Mitch Zeller. Uh, this was recorded, and I'm going to just leave it intact. Uh, so, uh, It'll be a good resource for anybody that wants to listen to it. And then after that, we're going to talk about uh, what happens with the Cole Bishop bill, what would happen with the changes to the, uh, the predicate date. It's not just a freebie. There are implications if we get that. And uh, we're going to talk just about uh, different things for e-liquid manufacturers. Uh, this is really a, a show today for e-liquid manufacturers. Thanks. I will now turn the meeting over to Ms. Anna Fine. Ma'am, you may begin. Thank you. I'd like to thank you for participating. My name is Anna Fine, and I'm with the FDA Office of Health and Constituent Affairs, and I'll be moderating this conference call. The purpose of this call is to discuss FDA's recently issued final rule extending its authority to all tobacco products, including e-cigarettes, cigars, hookah tobacco, and pipe tobacco, among others. Today, I am joined by Mitch Zeller, Director of FDA's Center for Tobacco Products, who will provide an overview of the final rule. At the conclusion of his remarks, we will open up the call for a question and answer session. We do ask that you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up if needed. Also, please be sure to state your name and organization so that we may accurately record your question. Before I turn the call over to Mr. Zeller, I would like to remind you that participants are muted until the question and answer portion. With that, I'll turn it over to Mitch Zeller. Thank you, Anna, and thank you to those joining us on the phone. Tobacco use has a long history of causing disease and death in our nation. Significant progress has been made over the last 50 years to reduce smoking rates among Americans. However, more than 480,000 Americans die prematurely each year from tobacco use. We've seen a decline in the use of traditional cigarettes by youth, but their use of other tobacco products, particularly new and novel ones, such as e-cigarettes, continues to rise at an alarming rate. In fact, the 2015 National Youth Tobacco Survey found that between 2011 and 2015, the percent of students who reported using cigarettes actually went down, but their overall tobacco use was the same. During the same period of time, current e-cigarette use amongst high school students skyrocketed from 1.5% to 16%, and hookah use increased significantly. And it is now the case that more teenage boys light up a cigar each day for the first time than try a cigarette. These numbers are concerning because we know nicotine is addictive and we know that it is present in e-cigarettes, hookah, cigarettes, smokeless tobacco, and cigars. In addition to nicotine exposure, there are numerous other chemicals present in tobacco products that can cause disease. Since 2009, FDA has regulated traditional tobacco products like cigarettes and smokeless tobacco under the bipartisan Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act. But we have not been doing all we can to protect Americans from the harmful effects of tobacco use, particularly our nation's youth and young adults. Today, FDA is finalizing a foundational rule that extends FDA's tobacco authority to cover all products that meet the definition of a tobacco product including e-cigarettes, cigars, and hookah tobacco, among others. The agency's ability to regulate a wider range of tobacco products 
provides FDA with a significant opportunity to more effectively reduce tobacco-related disease and death. Importantly, this rule will help us tackle the alarming increase of youth use of these tobacco products with provisions aimed at restricting youth access. This includes not allowing products to be sold to persons under the age of 18, both in person and online, requiring age verification by photo ID, not allowing the selling of covered tobacco products in vending machines unless it's in an adult-only facility, and not allowing the distribution of free samples. This rule will allow FDA to take additional steps to protect youth, including plans to issue a separate proposed rule to extend the existing flavor ban on cigarettes to cover cigars with characterizing flavors, including premium cigars, little cigars, and cigarillos. Additionally, the agency intends to issue future rules to require nicotine exposure warnings and child-resistant packaging for products with e-liquids. Today's actions will subject all manufacturers, importers, and retailers of newly regulated tobacco products to any applicable provisions, bringing them in line with other tobacco products FDA has regulated under the Tobacco Control Act since 2009. Among these provisions are requirements to register manufacturing establishments and provide product listings to FDA, reporting ingredients and harmful and potentially harmful constituents, requiring pre-market review and authorization of new tobacco products by FDA, placing health warnings on product packages and advertisements, and not selling so-called modified risk tobacco products, including those described as light, low, or mild, unless authorized by FDA. Through the six plus years we've been regulating tobacco products, FDA has shown that successful science-based regulation can help reduce the public health burden of tobacco use by ensuring that pre-market review of new tobacco products, helping consumers to better understand and appreciate the risks associated with their use, restricting youth access, and preventing misleading health claims. The regulations outlined in today's final rule allow us to carry out these tasks for all tobacco products. The agency considered a number of factors in developing this rule and took into consideration the varying views we heard from the more than 135,000 public comments on our proposed rule. And we believe our approach is both reasonable and balanced. Ultimately, our job under the law is to assess what is happening at the population level. We focus on two critical questions. Who is using the products in question and how are they being used? So when it comes to e-cigarettes, here's what we need to know. How many kids are starting on e-cigarettes? How many addicted smokers have switched completely away from cigarettes to e-cigarettes? How many of those addicted smokers, instead of switching, are actually using both products? And as a result, how many addicted smokers have a diminished interest in quitting cigarettes? Now that we have completed this important foundational step of having regulatory authority over these products, we will get answers to these kinds of questions before figuring out how to use all of the regulatory tools Congress gave the agency. Today's rule requires manufacturers of all newly regulated products to show that the products meet the applicable public health standards set forth in the law and receive authorization from FDA in order to stay on store shelves unless the product is grandfathered, meaning they were on the market as of February 15, 2007. The pre-market tobacco review process gives the agency the ability to evaluate important factors such as ingredients, 
product design and health risks, as well as the appeal to youth and non-users. In addition, to address issues like exploding e-cigarettes, FDA regulation of e-cigarettes will help protect adult users of the products by making sure the products are appropriately manufactured and used. As part of the final rule, FDA is announcing a compliance policy for newly regulated products currently on the market that are not grandfathered. Under staggered timelines, we expect that manufacturers will continue selling their products for up to two years while they submit and an additional year while FDA reviews a new tobacco product application. After that, if the agency has not issued an order granting marketing authorization, the product will face FDA enforcement if it is still on the market. The staggered compliance periods outlined in the rule work as follows. For those newly regulated tobacco products that are not eligible for grandfather status, manufacturers must submit an application for pre-market review through one of three available pathways. Pre-market tobacco application, otherwise known as PMTA, substantial equivalence, otherwise known as SE, or exemption from SE. FDA does not intend to enforce the requirements of pre-market review for those products that are on the market as of the effective date of the rule. If manufacturers submit applications seeking marketing authorization within the following specific timeframes, 12 months for an exemption from SE, 18 months for a full-blown SE application, and 24 months for a PMTA. For each of those timeframes, unless FDA has issued an order denying or refusing to accept the submission, an additional compliance period of 12 months will be added. As a result, we expect that many products may remain on the market for up to three years. So for example, a manufacturer seeking to market an e-cigarette through the PMTA pathway would have 24 months to submit a PMTA application. If they do so, and the application is not denied or refused acceptance, the product can continue to be marketed for an additional 12 months while we review the application. If a decision is not issued after those additional 12 months, the product will have to come off the market until they receive authorization from FDA to re-enter. I provided this example because we recognize that for products without what we call a valid predicate, such as many e-cigarettes and other so-called electronic nicotine delivery systems, PMTA will be the marketing pathway most likely pursued. Recently, FDA authorized eight new smokeless tobacco products under the PMTA pathway, demonstrating that this is indeed a viable pathway to market. Generally speaking, for products that have been around much longer than e-cigarettes, such as cigars, we anticipate that the SE and exemption from SE pathways to market may be appropriate. Those products are more likely to have a valid predicate product to compare to, which is a requirement of those pathways. Now on the topic of cigars, you may recall our proposed rule offered two options for the regulation of cigars, specifically about how to regulate so-called premium cigars. After thorough review of the scientific evidence and comments submitted, we've concluded that there is no appropriate public health justification for excluding premium cigars from the scope of this rule. All cigars pose serious negative health risks and contain harmful and potentially harmful constituents. To exclude such a product from FDA regulation would be neglecting our duty to protect the public health. <coughs> now, understandably, we're covering a lot of material and information today. And consumers, manufacturers, and retailers are encouraged to seek additional details on our website 
fda.gov backslash tobacco. In particular, to assist companies in navigating the regulatory process, FDA is publishing several other documents and inf with information and instructions that reflect FDA's current thinking on specific issues related to these newly regulated products. These additional documents include a final guidance to help applicants use existing information rather than developing their own new information when submitting pre-market applications, a draft guidance which, when final, will reflect the agency's current thinking on what information FDA recommends an applicant submits and how FDA intends to review pre-market applications for products like e-cigarettes. A final rule that describes how FDA plans to assess user fees for manufacturers of cigars and pipe tobacco, and small entity compliance guides that describe how small manufacturers of cigars and pipe tobacco can comply with the new user fee requirements and how small entities can comply with regulations outlined in today's final rule. Also, as part of the final rule, FDA is providing regulated entities, including small businesses, time to comply with certain provisions. I want to encourage small businesses to visit our Small Business Assistance webpage for additional information. You can search for Small Business Assistance at our website, fda.gov backslash tobacco. And in the coming weeks, we will also be holding many webinars about the final rule for manufacturers and retailers. So make sure you're signed up for our news alerts and on the lookout for our webinar announcements. To summarize, this historic rule allows FDA to use a variety of important regulatory tools to improve public health and protect future generations from the dangers of tobacco use. Thank you, and my colleagues and I would be happy to take your questions. Thank you, Mr. Zeller. At this time, we will begin the question and answer portion of the call. Mr. Zeller will take the majority of the questions and is joined by experts from the FDA's Center for Tobacco Products, Rear Admiral David Ashley, Director of the Office of Science, Ann Simino, Director of the Office of Compliance and Enforcement, and Jerry Voss, Regulatory Counsel in the Office of Regulation, both of whom are available to answer questions. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. Please limit yourself to one question so we can take as many questions as possible. With that, operator, we'd like to open the line for questions. Thank you. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1. Please unmute your phone and record your name when prompted. It is required to introduce your question. Once again, that's star 1 if you have a question. One moment. Operator, we'll take our first question now. We have a question from Eric Weingartner. Your line is open. Hello, thank you for taking my question. Um, uh, pretty basically, although there's a lot of questions, if you are deeming electronic cigarettes and their components and the liquids as a tobacco product, how will that affect online sales? Uh, online sales are, are covered, um, and we will be enforcing um, uh, all of the rules and using all of our regulatory authorities for online sales. Do you have, have a, a follow-up question? Do you want to make it more specific? Well, for example, you can't purchase uh, cigarettes online across state lines. Are you going to still be able to purchase electronic cigarette products online? This is Ann Simino. Um, we will be do conducting surveillance, and our prohibition is sales to minors, and that applies both in the brick-and-mortar store as well as online retailers who, who sell tobacco products in the United States. Thank you for your Thank question. You. Operator, we'll Thank take the next question, please. We have a question from Link Williams with AMSA. Your line is open. 
Hi, thank you for uh, taking time to take my question. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the provision for small manufacturers um, and uh, the timelines involved with small manufacturers? Sure. Um, in the proposed rule, uh, we acknowledge that um, coming from the world of, of selling products that had never been regulated by FDA to a world where they were being regulated by FDA would have impacts, and especially for small businesses. And so we asked for comment to help us better understand what those impacts would be. And with, within the, the bounds of the law, um, uh, what kind of relief we should consider granting uh, those who qualify as small businesses to make uh, the job of, of, of compliance with these new requirements um, a little less uh, burdensome on small businesses. And so here's what we've come up with in the final rule. Um, we have um, uh, come up with the term small-scale tobacco manufacturers, and these would be uh, firms that have uh, fewer than 150 employees and fewer than $5 million in annual revenue. Um, were those firms in the world of substantial equivalence, if you have filed a substantial equivalence application and you're engaged in the back and forth with our Office of Science, and you receive one of our milestone letters with a deadline in it that says we need the following information by X date for small businesses. If you file a request for an extension during the first 30 months after um, the rule goes into effect, we will, we will very seriously consider requests for extensions. So giving you more time to gather the information uh, that, that might be more of a challenge for small businesses to, um, to put together for us than, than larger firms. We are also extending the deadline for uh, pr providing certain types of information to us, ingredient information and health data, by an additional six months each for small businesses. On top of that, um, and uh, this is going to be particularly helpful to small businesses um, that have never been regulated by FDA before, um, uh, you're going to have a designated uh, regulatory health project manager that's going to help assist you and navigate the various regulatory waters with the different offices that you're going to have to deal with inside the Center for Tobacco Products. Um, and we will be there to provide technical assistance for you. As I said earlier in my uh, remarks, there will be webinars and trainings and there are guidances and more guidances to come. Um, and uh, that's what we are trying to do. Um, uh, to uh, help small businesses uh, comply and remain in compliance uh, with the various requirements that are going to be going into effect under this final rule. Thank you for your question. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. That was good information. The next question is from Patricia Kovacevic with Nicopier Labs. Your line is open. Yes, hello. Thank you for taking my question. I appreciate it. Um, and thank you for, uh, for the explanations. Uh, just one clarification. So. Our understanding is that as of August 8th or whatever is 90 days from um, the day of publication, basically no more changes to any product on the market as of August 8th are allowed um, because obviously at that point products or newly deemed products should start complying with the pre-market requirements. And if you can confirm that, so in other words, our market will be basically frozen to the state of, um, of products as of August 8th. And, um, also, my other question is, how does FDA intend to enforce that, um, you know, uh, in the next two years? 
Patricia, this is David Ashley. Um, largely what you said is correct, except um, there's the date of August 8th, and after that date, any more modifications to products, those products before they go on the market, will have to come in and get an authorization for, from FDA. And let me turn to Ann for the question of um, how, would, how we would enforce um, moving before August 8th to after August 8th. Um, again, this is Ann Simino. Um, companies have um, 12 months to submit an SE exemption, 18 months to submit an SE report, or 24 months to submit a PMTA application if they're not grandfathered under this deeming regulation. Um, during that time, um, if, if companies submit during that time period their applications or their requests for exemption, um, then the agency will exercise enforcement discretion um, for a 12-month period. If, however, a company does not submit those applications during that time period, um, then they could be subject to enforcement action. And we do routine surveillance and inspections. We rely on registration and listing information that's provided to us as well as our own um, other investigation uh, information that we acquire to identify companies that are illegally marketing and selling tobacco products in the United States. Yeah, that's a little bit contradictory. We might be able to get some more information from that. Thank you, Adrienne. If you'd like to ask a question, please because press it was star mostly one. about SEs. The next question is from John Bellinger with Evolve. Your line is open. Um, hi, I was hoping you could go through the differences you envision in the PMTA process for open systems versus closed systems, because you know there are differences and similarities between the systems, and I just you know would like you to sort of clarify or elaborate on what is going to be required of an open system. We ask David to respond. I think the best um, thing to do is to get the draft ends guidance and take a look at that. We try to describe a fair amount about the differences between those systems. And instead of me sitting and trying to reiterate exactly what's in the guidance, I think it would be best for you to pull that up and, and go through that. If you've still got more questions, then we'll have to, we can um, send your question into CTP and we'll try to address that. Hopefully that draft guidance will help uh, explain that. Okay, thank you for your question. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. We have a question from Robert Crossley with Cosmic Fog Vapors. Your line is open. Hi, Mr. Zeller, Robert Crossley of Cosmic Fog Vapors. Um, just a follow-up, in a previous Q&A after the initial proposal of the FDA, uh, you had stated that e-liquid products specifically uh, made from nicotine that was not derived from tobacco wouldn't meet the FDA's definition of tobacco product and couldn't be regulated as such. Has that changed, or do you have any further insight on that? Um, I don't remember stating that as definitively as that because it's a very complicated question that has to do with the definition of its backup product. It was pretty the definitive. Of a component or part, um, and this will all be assessed on a on a case by case basis. We start with: um, Does it meet the statutory definition of a tobacco product? Which means: Is it made or derived from tobacco? If it's not. That doesn't necessarily mean it won't be regulated by FDA, uh, depending upon the, 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 the matter at hand, the case at hand, the product that we are looking at. Because if it's intended to be used with something that does meet the statutory definition of a tobacco product, something else that's made or derived from tobacco, um, then it becomes a more complicated 
um, legal and technical and statutory question than some black and white assertion that some, uh, some uh, product in isolation itself is not made or derived from tobacco. So sorry to give you um, a complicated answer, but it's a complicated question. And then just thank you. Just a quick follow-up then. So is there any type of approval process for a product uh, seeking approval as a non-tobacco product, or would, as you said, is that just a case-by-case -case basis? That was a good uh, question. Uh, could, could, you, could you restate the question? Oh, sorry. I said just a follow-up with that. Is there any type of uh, approval process then for a product looking to be classified as a non-tobacco product if just you know, say it were made from a synthesized nicotine rather than a tobacco-derived uh, nicotine, or does that process not exist and it would just kind of be handled on a case-by-case -case basis? Let me ask Ann to comment on that. You have to meet the definition of a tobacco product in order for the uh, regulatory requirements to comply. So a definition of a tobacco product in the Tobacco Control Act, components and parts are tobacco products. So this deeming rule deems them under our jurisdiction. However, there's certain regulatory requirements that we're exercising enforcement discretion such that you have to be a finished tobacco product for them to apply, and that includes all the pre-market requirements like SE and PMTA. And the finished tobacco product is either a component or part or the actual completed uh, tobacco product that is packaged and sold directly to the consumer. Okay, that's been something I've been talking Thank about for a long time. time. Uh, Thank that's you that's critical, the next obviously. Question, we have a question from Gustavo Cruz from Amcor Packaging. Your line is open. Hi, thank you for taking the question. Uh, I'd like to know more about uh, the health warnings that and new requirements for packaging on, on cigarette products. Are there going to be any changes or different requirements on e-cigarettes and uh, all those other products that are going to be regulated by the FDA right now? Jerry Voss will answer that question. We um, have one warning statement regarding nicotine and addictiveness, and that would apply across all newly, de newly deemed products, and that would include e-liquids. If the product is in a package that might be too small, perhaps, to have the warning label on the package, then if it's in that type of packaging, it could be um, included on a tag that's permanently affixed to the package. And then the other warnings that were discussed uh, in the rule today will pertain just to cigars. And if I could also add, the nicotine warning that Jerry just um, referred to, that under the deeming rule also extends to two categories of currently regulated tobacco products. That's cigarette tobacco and roll your own tobacco. They're required to comply with the new nicotine warnings also during their time requirements. Thank you for your question. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. We have a question from Kathy Hoke. Your line is open. Good afternoon. I'm actually uh, giving an audience question at the Fidley conference. Uh, the question is, it sounds like e-cigarettes as an entire category will have to go through the PMTA process and will not be eligible for the SE substantial equivalence process. Is that correct? Kathy, this is Mitch. Um, our understanding from um, conversations that we've had with uh, the e-cigarette industry over the years is that given the, the relative newness of the technology, 
that the pathway that they're most likely going to be pursuing is the PMTA pathway. Um, with that understanding, uh, that's why we did things like the draft guidance, uh, because we're talking about um, companies making products that previously had not been regulated by FDA, and um, the draft guidance um, for, for now is our signal to the industry of this is the kind of information that would be most helpful to us uh, in a PMTA application for an ENDS product, and when that guidance is finalized, it will represent our best and current thinking. Given that I'm in a room with several people, well, more than several, can I ask a second question that I was just handed? Sure, go ahead. Thank you. Um, if industry delivered to FDA voluntary guidelines, I can't read this, consensus e-vapor product standards, would CTP give these standards consideration, or would the rule's apparent dismissal of the product standard approach mean that CTP would just dismiss this effort at coming up with product standards from the industry? Um, we're open to any and all dialogue with um, any uh, currently or about to be regulated industries. Um, if there are uh, suggestions um, that, that any sector has um, where we would, and, and, and folks in the room know that we would shift this to something called listening mode, where um, we can't share non-public information um, with interested parties, but um, if there are suggestions for how any of the regulatory tools that are now at our disposal as a result of deeming going final, how those tools should be used, we are very open to a dialogue and discussion to hear your thoughts. Cannot make any kinds of commitments to how we would uh, react to um, uh, voluntary industry standards, but that certainly would be fuel for uh, a good discussion that could take place with us. Thank you for your questions. Operators, will you take the next question, please? We have a question from Steve Riffle with Downtown Bank. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, as it relates to small businesses, vape shops, um, the brick and mortar, do you, uh, do you see regulating them uh, through a tobacco license? Um, and what would be their projected cost to become compliant? Well, um, there is no federal licensure requirement, but um, there will be uh, various uh, registration and listing requirements uh, for us. Costs of registration and listing are, are pretty minuscule. Yeah, and, and um, I might add that all depends on what kind of activities the vape shops are performing. If a vape shop is doing traditional retail activities, then the retail requirements would kick in. The registration listing um, requirement that Mitch just referred to, that applies to manufacturing activities. So if you're a manufacturer and you perform certain activities that cause you to be a manufacturer, then all of the manufacturing requirements would apply, including registration and listing, uh, pre-market review. Okay, and a follow-up question. Um, a lot of the, the hardware um, or most of the vaping products, as well as the e-cigarettes, are are manufactured in China and imported um, into the country. How is that, how is that gonna, supply chain gonna affect uh, me? Is, is the question how, how would the devices be regulated uh, if they are manufactured abroad? Correct. 
It's just like any other component that's used in a finished tobacco product that's manufactured um, outside of the United States. They would still have to comply with any um, of the requirements that other component manufacturers would have to um, comply with. Thank you for your questions, operator. We'll take the next question, please. We have a question from Ann Holloway with Convenience Distribution Association. Your line is open. Hi, thanks so much for taking the question. Um, as someone who represents distributors, just have a quick question about how um, the going forward, how do distributors know if manufacturer's product is undergoing the um, approval process? And I know that can be up to three years from what you've indicated, but is there any way that they would know that the manufacturer was going through that process or not? If, if we understand the question, and I'm looking at, at David, if a company has filed um, either an SE or a PMTA application for a currently marketed product, a product that was on the market as of the effective date, um, is there any way for distributors to know a, that the application had been filed, and B, anything about the status of the application. And, and yeah, we, we would not, if, if a distributor is interested in the status of a manufacturer's product, we would not talk to the distributor and tell them the status of a manufacturer's product. It'd be up to the distributor to go to the manufacturer and get um, the evidence or get um, information showing that they had, had provided that application if the distributor wanted, needed to know that information. But I'd also like to um, point out that currently regulated tobacco products that have received NSC orders from the Office of Science, we post those um, on our website. And we will also post um, products that have been found to be SE. So if a manufacturer does look in the list and they find out that their product has been authorized for marketing, it will be there. But a product that's in status, in the review process, the distributor would have to go back to the manufacturer for that evidence. Great. Right. Thank you for your question. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. Next question is from Ben Cox from SFATA. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, my name is Ben Cox, and I had a question regarding the um, timelines around August 8th. The previous question mentioned that um, as of August 8th, no more changes will be allowed to existing products on the market unless authorized by FDA. Um, now, let's say during the compilation of my PMTA application, if I chose to do that, um, something came up and I decided that changes needed to be made to labeling. Um, could I stay on the market with the old product until the application was reviewed with that new information, or could I change my product in order to um, comply with my new findings? I think that this is a question that's, that's best dealt with offline after we've had a chance to contemplate um, what you're asking about, and, and, and we'll, we'll figure out a way to get the, the word back out to folks who are interested in the, in the answer to that question. Um, we, don't want to, we don't want to give out information on this call that, um, that might not be accurate, so let us ponder the question. Anne might have something to add now. Oh, please stand by for a sec. Wow, they've, uh, they're using Call a Friend. Okay. So let, let, let us get back to you, um, and we'll come up with an answer that everybody is happy with. Okay, thank you. Thank that you. sounds good. I'll uh, be happy when they're happy. Question, happy, happy. Sure. As a reminder, please press star 1 if you have a question. We have a question from Lou Ritter with AIMSA. Your line is open. 
Thank you, and thank you all of you for being here to help answer questions on this complex matter. Um, the pre-market tobacco application process for regular cigarettes uh, appears to have some components that are quite subjective in terms of their, their, their ability to, to complete and verify a completed application, proving public health. Um, just wondering if in your evaluation, of course we have a big document, we'll all go through it, um, the PMTA for e-vapor products is going to have exactly the same outline and guidelines of the full PMTA or if there were any possible adjustments that were made to make the process, the application process more objective for the vapor products. For example, maybe a reference molecular analysis that can be used for a comparison. Uh, thanks for the question, Lou. Um, one of the most important documents that you're going to need to look at is the draft guidance for ENDS PMTA applications that we released today. Um, one of the things that we tried to do with that draft guidance um, is signal our flexibility on the types of evidence that might be helpful uh, in a particular PMTA application. Um, when uh, uh, when a, a new uh, clinical trial would or, or, or would not be needed, how to use existing published literature, how to use epidemiological data, please take a look at the, at the draft guidance um, this is not the drug approval process. This is not about two adequate and well-controlled clinical trials. And we're trying to signal um, that there will be different ways um, to, to get at the, um, at, the, at the PMTA pathway with, um, with the information that we've put into that draft guidance. I don't know if David wants to add anything. Yeah, the only, the only thing I would add in there is we've also discussed the use of master files. So if there is information that's already known about a component that is going into a product, um, being able to refer back to those master files and using some of that information can also be a way for um, companies to reduce their burden. Yeah, that's an important point. We, uh, we've learned from our colleagues in the Center for Drugs um, that some of the houses that are providing um, uh, liquid nicotine have already established um, master files with FDA on the drug side of the house. Uh, there will be tremendous value to the establishment of master files by upstream suppliers of of flavors, of nicotine, of, of, of other components or parts um, so that uh, the downstream uh, user of that information can, can point to its existence. It remains proprietary and commercially confidential, but if, if the upstream supplier has made the world um, uh, informed that a master file exists, it can be cited, um, and that's one less thing and possibly a whole bunch of fewer things uh, that somebody else would have to um, spend the money to produce. So another part of the same question is in the PMTA, I believe, if I understand it correctly, there's the possibility of a requirement to prove certain things with clinical trials and so forth. Uh, if my understanding is correct, that requires an IND. Have you established a pathway for vapor products to get established and apply for an IND? Um, the IND process and the um, process for getting authorization to market a tobacco product are completely separate. Um, and if, if a manufacturer wants to make claims, uh, or if a manufacturer wants to claim therapeutic impact of their product, um, then they've got to go through that IND process, and that's separate from what we're doing with tobacco. But one of the things that we try to, to lay out in the draft guidance, and we welcome comment on this, is um, circumstances where um, a new clinical trial um, might be helpful in circumstances where 
it, it might be less necessary. And we and we we welcome comment and feedback on on that on that provision in the draft guidance. Thank you. Thank you for your question, operator. We have time to take a couple more questions. We have a question from Mark Anton from What a Smoke. Your line is open. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for taking my call and giving us information on the new daming regs. But my question is, um, <clears throat> under what under what conditions would the FDA refuse or deny acceptance of a PMTA application? We can only answer that question at the at the, the broadest level by talking about um, what the what the standard is, and I'll ask David to describe just in, in general terms um, uh, what the standard is for uh, PMTA. And understand that uh, just a few months ago, uh, we issued the first ever PMTA authorizations for smokeless tobacco products. So, David, why don't you just generally describe? Yeah, yeah the, the the standard in the act is that marketing of this new product would be appropriate for the protection of public health. And that is the standard we look at and consider. We look at, when we're, when we're looking at that, we're looking at um, the imp impact of marketing this product on initiation. So will that increase use of tobacco products? We look at the impact on cessation. We also look at the impact on the risk to the user. And so we look at all those factors and we look at the impact of, of, well, we look at those factors and then try to determine whether that is going to be, it's more likely to be appropriate protection of public health. We really can't go into any more detail with that. It's all really on a case-by-case -case basis. We look at the evidence that's provided by the manufacturer to make a determination of that, uh, whether it meets that standard. Thank you. Operator, we have time for one last question. Next question is from Kevin Altman with JJA Distributors. Your line is open. Hi, Mitch, guys. Um, we understand currently under the SE process, it's a pretty difficult navigational process for both parties, both the SEA and, and other companies. But cigar companies that are coming into this fresh are going to have a much more difficult time because they haven't had the years of experience some of us have not been fortunate enough to have. Do we anticipate a potential list of possible questions, like we've asked before for cigarettes, that would make applications that come into the FDA much more thorough, especially since we're now going to have a one-year deadline by which we've got to seek the approval after we file the SE application. What do you, uh, what do you, Kevin, what do you mean by list of questions? You mean All right. So right now, Mitch, as you know, people are going through scientific review. Everybody's getting questions. They're not always the same. One thing that would be very helpful, and we've met with the Office of Science about this recently, would be, hey, guys, hey, industry, on your website or through a guidance, here's a list of all the questions we've asked on. It's nothing that would be um, proprietary, perhaps, but here's a list of all the questions we've asked companies today. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to ask you these questions, and this is not an all-inclusive list. We may ask you something different based on your particular situation. Is it possible, not only for the currently regulated products, but for cigars and hookah and the other categories that are going to be now regulated, that we could get a list of those types of questions so companies' applications would be as thorough as possible coming into the FDA in hopes that we can meet that year deadline to get the product approved. Um, I, without commenting on the specifics of will we produce a list of questions, what I'm hearing you um, request is um, in, in the spirit of continuing to provide information to currently regulated and, and newly regulated industries, is there 
is there more information that we can provide about we would, what we would be looking for in an SC application? We have issued guidances. Um, there will be um, specific webinars on this topic um, eventually. And, you know, we are still um, the baby center at, at, at FDA. I know that for a lot of folks on the phone, you find that hard to believe. But um, in the world of SC, one of the things that, that, that needs to happen as, as, as the program continues to mature, as all of our experience, uh, whether as the regulated or the regulator, um, increases, eventually we're going to be doing regulations. So in the world of substantial equivalence, there will eventually be a substantial equivalence regulation that I think will do much of, of what you're asking for. But before being able to do an actual legally enforceable regulation, we need experience. And so short of being able to do a legally enforceable regulation, we issue the guidances, we do the webinars, we do the trainings, we post as much information on the website, um, uh, and especially when it comes to NSE determinations. We have gone out of our way um, to, to, to continue to update uh, issues and reasons why applications received an NSC determination, which uh, in many instances can be as helpful, if not more helpful, than um, something that got an SC determination. So in the spirit of if there are suggestions for more things that we can and should be doing to provide even more of a roadmap to how to navigate the SC pathway, we are, we are open to that, and please come in with your suggestions. We will do so. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this call. We appreciate your dialing in and for all the questions that we have received. This concludes this call. All right, folks. Um, I'm not sure uh, if anybody um, who is listening has already heard that. Um, and, I, and I think uh, by me putting it out here like this, uh, pretty much in a, a continuous form, that uh, that's a service. I mean... Uh, I think that that information is solid information. There's a lot of things that he said in there, and uh, you know, people uh, can listen to it on the replay, and it'll uh, it's it's good information. I heard a lot of things in there. All right, so uh, we're back uh, back again. Uh, so I I really thought that that was a as these things go because I've listened to just about all of them that have been offered um, and that's one thing that that I'll do is that uh, when there's a chance for public comments when there's a chance for a public workshop uh, I'll take advantage of all of those and there's a lot of people that did not bother to go to the FDA workshops they said that was just pointless and stuff like that I attended every single one I interacted with every single one and I talked to those people and so now here with the deeming uh, the final rule that was a good presentation there are a lot of nuggets and in, of information in there uh, then there's things that have been put out that explain some stuff now there are some things like the the Rob Crosley question uh, which was really centered around uh, the, uh, the TFN question, um, which is tobacco-free nicotine, which is a product, to the best of my knowledge, is made from eggplants without any tobacco. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's just another way of deriving, the same way that nicotine is derived from tobacco leaf, it's done from eggplant leaf, um, or the skin of the eggplant. Uh, there's, there's some people that conjecture that uh, the reason why you find nicotine mostly in the leaves is because perhaps it's a way of the plant from self-defending itself uh, from insects. Uh, 
people do sometimes talk about nicotine as an insecticide. Uh, and while that may be true, it's a rather ineffective one, uh, at least according to all the chemical makers. There we are. Mitch Zeller said in the first, uh, back in uh, April 24th, 2014, that nicotine had to be derived from tobacco in order to have the Tobacco Control Act be operative upon it. And so, well, well that, that takes us straight into why I am absolutely concerned about what people are doing with trying to put in these coal amendments and there's been a lot of misinformation going on and that misinformation continues to this day and so uh, I am perfectly willing and able to defend every single position that I've taken and that for every single position that I've taken if I am wrong I'm gonna come back out and say look I was wrong now here's one example of when I was wrong if you want one is that back in the early days I thought that uh, chewing tobacco would have a negative effect in the public perception and that Bill Godshell was emphasizing that and Casaw was emphasizing that and other forms of tobacco use that's, that are that are tobacco harm reduction and that the fact that they were emphasizing chewing tobacco which I have experience with and I know that it's not just a cancer producing harms that it does it affects uh, the the quality of the oral cavity to where uh, loose teeth and other uh, small precancerous lesions that are not cancer but are precancerous are something and calluses that develop in the lips so I was concerned that being lopped into to that T form of tobacco harm reduction and some of the things that uh, what's his name jeez uh, 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 I'm forgetting his name Carl Phillips uh, had been saying uh, that that those would be a big negative and I came out fairly aggressive against that um, and it turns out that I was wrong uh, that all of that talk all of that effort that I put into that um, it, 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 was, it was a sneeze in the rain, a spit in the rain, a loogie in the rain. It had no material difference. And, and probably I could have figured that out more at the time, but at the time I was building up my knowledge. And uh, so I, I was wrong there. And uh, so uh, apologies to uh, people that, that thought that, uh, that uh, I was uh, being uh, too boisterous back then. I, I still agree with everything I said. I do not think that the public perception of, of uh, chewing tobacco is a good one and that we don't want to get lumped in with it. However, when it comes down to brass tacks and getting things done and regulations, it, it's, it's noise. It's not even noise. It's, uh, it's something. So if I am wrong on any of the things that I'm talking about, uh, I invite callers right now to point out to where I'm wrong because people on Facebook are just up in arms. And, and what I'm seeing is that uh, the, the people that go around and protest free speech on college campuses are not just on college campuses. They're actually all over the place on Facebook. So if you say something, which is an idea that... Uh, that if you say something that people are so they think it's their right to read something from somebody else and then disagree with it and then to have their 
hurt feelings, the, the famous butt hurt feelings, that, that, that that's, they should silence that so they don't have to watch it. And, you know, the fact that this is going on in college campuses, which are universities, which was the whole thing is to, to get the experience and, and to see what the rest of the world is. That was the point of a university. What we see now in uh, however many years, uh, is it uh, 32 years plus 84? I think it's about uh, 32, uh, uh, 1984 plus 32 uh, is... Uh what we're seeing is, is that people get beat down, shouted down for expressing opinion. And then just the same last week, there was some guy who claims to be, you know, I don't know what. He's a, he's a DIY or die guy. And he went on with Jeannie on his show and he said, oh, my God, Ed Wolf said that my opinion was wrong. So that's it. I have nothing more to do with him. I, he, he's, he's an asshole now. Uh, fine. I did tell him, you know. And the guy claims he's wearing his uniform and he claims to be military intelligence. I don't know what his story is. All I do know is that normally when somebody's in a uniform, they act with the decorum of the uniform and don't just be spouting off like a millennial. Uh, so he's not respecting his own uniform. I know that. But he's coming at me saying, oh, yeah, it's just he, he, he said my opinion was wrong. How dare he? Well, yeah, I did say his opinion was wrong because he was wrong. And if he can't take that without, you know, screaming butthurt, I, I don't know. And, and that's what I'm seeing on Facebook, just left and right. People are like, oh, my God, how dare you say this? Well, I say it because I think it and I think it because I believe it to be true and I believe it to be true because I've read the documents so it's math it doesn't matter if you like me it doesn't matter if you think I'm presenting it in a way that you like it it's math it, it's either right or wrong and you show your work you show your answer and that's it it's it's not a touchy-feely thing so uh, I, I am obviously frustrated uh, and you can claim that I'm butthurt. You can tell me I'm butthurt, but, but, but please, just please. When, when some dork named Kevin Price is running around on Facebook uh, collecting his friends and saying, let's all ban Ed Wolf from all the groups. So what they're doing is they're going around trying to ban me. You know, please, you know, be my guest. Ban me from your group. But it doesn't matter. You know, it does not matter. Because, you know, three times three minus one is still eight, isn't it? So it doesn't make a difference. Say what you need to do. Ban me if you want. But I'm not going to, you know, concede that math is a, uh, is, is a written exam that uh, opinions matter. It doesn't. So all it counts is being right or wrong. And I'm doing it in a way where I hope that my opinion is loud enough and discernible enough to where people can say, I understand what he's saying. Is he wrong? And then you'll know if I'm wrong or I'm right. But it's not going to be a, a, a fluffy, you know, a liberal arts uh, college, you know, uh, grade on a curve bullshit. It's going to be as discreet and as, as solid as I can present it. And I'm going to say it that way. And so that if somebody is going to try and take it down because I'm wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'm going to admit it. Because, you know, nobody's helping me with this. I'm doing my own work. I could cheat and, and just repeat stuff that other people are saying. And then, oh, because I'm just repeating what, what, the, what the daily stew is, uh, that I'll, that'll get in no trouble. I'll, I'll, I'll cause no waves. But that's not what I'm going to do. So, the call-in line 
for any of these folks that have the gusto to uh, to want to tell me I'm wrong, please do it to my face. Let's do it interactively. And the reason why I'm going to guess that you're not going to call is you're going to say, oh, well, TLDR, uh, it wasn't worth my trouble to read everything or listen to everything you said. I just wanted to tell him it was wrong because it's too, uh, too long and didn't read. And uh, so uh, the, uh, the illiterate, uh, the proud illiterate are going to say TLDR and they're not going to look at it. So why don't you call me up? Call me up right now. Yeah, I'm available. I'm taking your calls. And the call-in line is 347-308-8329. So if anybody else, if you know, now I look totally stupid. If, if anybody else wants to call me, go ahead. My phone lines don't work. Um, but uh, thank you, Duro. Duro again, the man. All right, so we, we, we covered the guest presentation uh, with Mitch Zeller. And... Uh, let me just go back to where I was with Facebook. Hello, dear Facebook fans. If you want to uh, say something, how about if you're going to you know, come at me on my thread uh, or uh, in, a, in a thread that you want to do that, uh, how about you have the guts to uh, leave those posts up and not just go ahead and delete them? Um, yeah, anyway, butthurt. Um, I, butthurt be my name. I, I, I take the moniker of butthurt at this particular juncture. And so please... Uh, Let's have a dialogue uh, because I don't think I'm wrong. And if I were, if I was, if I was spinning out yarns like some other people are, uh, I would take it a lot. You know, you wouldn't hear me like this. You you would hear me just like, uh, uh, but I'm not. I am adamant. All right. Uh, so a review of last week's show um, is what I said, and then I wanted to talk about the Cole Bishop uh, bill. So, um, just want to say one thing first uh, before I get into all that uh, is that Arnond Dumas Dorale uh, reached out to me, and uh, we had enough time for about a five-minute conversation. And uh, I think he's a good guy, and uh, I had listened to what he said, and he uh, he simply asked that I, I dial it back a little bit, and uh, his feedback to me was in good faith, and I took it well. And uh, I would like to talk to him in the future uh, about uh, just all the things that he's doing. I'm interested in in, in, in the whole EU side of things. Um, and uh, I'll hope to reach out to him again. And let me just say, uh, if, uh, if, if somehow he thought that uh, in any way I was referring to him as a tobacco company, I just want to make sure that I am absolutely don't think that. And uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I did want to... Uh, extend my gratitude for him to to reach out like the mensch that he is and uh all's good so from there i wanted to talk about um you know what this cole bishop bill is doing and i know that um there is a line of thought uh and i read uh james martin who is basically saying uh people should either support should support both and that was his position just support both and there's other people out there that are saying uh, like myself uh, that the Cole Bishop bill is so fraught with peril at the by the way that it's being presented that even though it comes with a quote-unquote grandfather change that it's so dangerous the things that have been put in there that I can't support the Cole Bishop bill as written in any form right now. 
I do not want the Cole Bishop bill to pass. And that's because of what I've found out. Now, if what I found out is wrong, then people will tell me that. And I'll say it in, in, in a distinct way where they'll be able to tell me that. And then if I am wrong, I will change my position. I don't have an issue with that. So there's, there's people like that. I'm one side. Uh, I'm for HR 2058. Uh, I believe it's still moving along. And, and I'm against the Cole Bishop bill. And I believe that both, uh, both of them have uh, that the, well, I'll, bring, I'll remember that. I'll bring it up later. So Dimitri is, has gone on. And, uh, and uh, here, here's a little note to Kevin. I can't avoid saying this guy's name. Uh, I have to. Uh, so I'm not going to treat him like some sort of baby that I can't speak his name. Because the guy's put himself out there. This guy is uh, the head of VISTA or some sort of secretary of VISTA, some sort of board member of VISTA. VISTA is a group that wants to uh, gather uh, lobbyists and put them all around the different states. Now, that means that VISTA is at odds with national groups such as VTA and Safada because they have the same mission statement. So they're, they're, do, they're both doing the same thing. So there's a question of dilution of effort because I am a strong believer in standardization. And if you're going to have lobbyists go around to all 50 states, you better have a pool of them, essentially a baseball or a football team, where the coach which would be the head of the organization that's doing it, will be able to give them and, and coach them and get them all on the same page so each one of those fighting forces is more effective in the end result. That's what I would think. Uh, but Vista wants to do it all sort of independently. And I don't know what they... They have a contract with a lobbyist firm in Florida. I don't know what their their contract is with them. I don't know what their fee structures are. I don't know uh, how much uh, the nonprofit uh, uh, uses for their own resources. I don't know any of those things. Um, but I do know what it is, and I do know that it's conflicting with other efforts. And when I say conflicting, I mean it's a drawing away of focus of our industry from things so people are left with, I've got multiple different efforts, and I've talked to people, and a person that, who has money to donate to advocacy has told me straight out, there's so many different things. I would like to donate, but I'm not going to donate because I think it's just going to get wasted. And that was his point. His point was, it is just going to get wasted. And so, so long, you know, people ask for grand unification that we all need to get on the same page. Well, Dimitri has this whole VISTA program. I think it's along with Kevin Skipper uh, that, that are doing this, this program. Uh, and that is a draw of attention and focus from the other efforts. So I don't, the last time I heard an update about VISTA was probably about a year, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, where they came onto Dimitri's show and, and were asking for people to sign up. But I, do, I am aware that since then that VISTA is kind of hand-in-hand hand with SFA, which is, stands for the Smoke-Free Association. So there's the TFSA, which is Tennessee. There's the Florida SFA, which is FSFA. And then there's the GSFA. And then there might be a couple other ones out there. And those are associated with VISTA, but the exact ties are I, I'm unclear on. Uh, what happened there is that Dimitri had on his show expressed that he was concerned with, uh, with Massachusetts and the, and the Safada person up in Massachusetts. They didn't like the lobbyist. They claimed that the lobbyist was doing jack shit. So Dimitri flew up there, quote unquote, just was there to talk to them. 
And then uh, Massachusetts built a uh, smoke-free association, pretty much tanked the uh, the Safada organization uh, because you know Massachusetts is not that big of a place. So what are you gonna do? Uh, you know, if you if you only have X amount of vendors and they don't know which way to go, uh, I think that blew up the Safada one. But you know, uh, I'm not an expert on that. May, I, I think my understanding was that the the Safada Massachusetts chapter went kablooey, and the uh, then the 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 uh, smoke-free uh, association branded version popped up in Massachusetts. Um, I don't know that much about what's going on there. Uh, I did look at some of the stuff. There are very aggressive bans that are going on with flavors. In fact, uh, uh, there was a town in uh, Massachusetts which uh, which was one of the first ones to do a flavor ban. I know they're getting attacked that way, but um, I don't know what the organizations are over there. I don't know if any of them are healthy. I don't know what it is, but how this all relates is that Dimitri has got the, the Vista and the, the SFA and that he's propagating those into different places. For all I know next, uh, you know, uh, Dimitri and the SFA are going to come over and uh, take over California. And I think that's kind of a pipe dream, but, you know, for all I know, that's going to happen. Uh, you know, uh, it's I, I believe that, that Dimitri is persona non grata at the ECCs, but, you know, what do I know? I, I know nothing. Uh, so we'll see if he can come over there. Uh, I didn't see him at the last ECC. I sure hope he comes to this one, uh, because all I know is that there was a wonderful advocacy event, and when I looked on the Dimitri Facebook, he was just, you know, going after... Uh, you know, going after that, the effort, uh, and I, I videotaped this thing. I stuck it up on the internet. And I was pretty proud of it. I, I had 200 people. Uh, I, I captured, put it that way. I captured on video and posted on video, uh, 200 people listening to Greg Connolly, listening to Julie Woosner, listening to, uh, to, uh, Stefan Didek and, uh, listening to all these people. And it was a good show. And then he said, well, look, you know, you have, you have some woman out there with pink hair that is doing vape models. So it's some sort of, uh, some sort of, uh, deplorable, uh, and then none of that stuff should be seen in vape shows. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's that sort of attitude, but, uh, and how, why I'm even talking about these vape event things? Well, because of what was in the deeming, and as I said last week, what you didn't see is anything about vape models, anything about product labels, anything about uh, IP infringement, anything about all of that stuff, uh, stripper poles in New Jersey. You didn't see any of that come out of the deeming. So while you've had Dimitri and his associated organizations screaming up and down Facebook that people need to go after this IP infringement, when at the end of the day, when things came down, what happened? The FDA didn't, did not make a peep on it. And now, are people thinking, oh, I have to fill out these applications for the FDA? Do I need to fill out something about my IP infringement? No, no, you don't. It's controlled by the FTC, not the FDA. So it, it's just a massive diversionary thing. So I, 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 I'm sorry, Kevin. I will, I will be as good as possible, but I cannot avoid talking about what Dimitri is doing because he's got his fingers in all sorts of segments of this industry and you know he's doing all this stuff so I for me to not mention what I see this guy doing now I'm half Greek you know I'm half German too but I'm half Greek so I take responsibility for this 
I mean, I take responsibility from for, you know, Dimitri, because we've had a big problem with our city-states never getting along. The Persians tried to kick our butts. We had to beat them back twice. Now, there was a guy at the Battle of the 300 that showed the people the pass. And, and, the, and the guy's name, I forgot his name now, but it's synonymous with the word nightmare. So when I see Dimitri, my fellow Greek, I equate him to the guy that is showing the people the back path to take out our industry. Now, does that sound extreme? Yeah, okay, I'm pissed off, I'm butthurt, butthurt be my name. So when, why am I so butthurt? Because all of that stuff was not in the deeming. And we've had people platooning lemons towards a cliff to just fall off it. Because they're saying, oh, you have to do all this stuff, all this stuff. And all that stuff is not in the regulations. What everybody has to do is comply with the regulations. And there is a path to compliance that is, will, and be effective. And that is what I am working on. And so when people want to criticize me for, for what I'm working on, I am working on assuming that you have to fill out the paperwork. Now, we can say, well, let's go over to the DMV and we don't have to take the written test and they'll just give us a license. But in reality, that's not going to happen. So you're going to have to fill out the paperwork one way or another. And so whether if we have to fill out the PMTAs right away or if we have to fill out the PMTAs in, in a year from now, I am working on filling out the PMTAs. There are a lot of companies that are going to go it alone and they think that they can can go it alone and I know that some people are concerned that if if that, that that really can't happen that the whole industry is going to be wiped out but I'm looking at these uh, these larger companies and these are larger vapor only companies I believe a large amount of people will make it through I think I can do it for cheaper but they will get past it so there's a whole bunch of these smaller companies that are being told that their only hope is to get a grandfather date change. Their only hope is, is to somehow think that the FDA is just gonna scribble up and, and, and take this, this whole deeming document and throw it away. And I'm sorry, but that the world don't work that way and that's not gonna happen. These regulations are in, they're active, they're proceeding along towards time clocks. Now the FDA has said, well look, we're gonna try and help you out as best you can. And I know a lot of people are gonna say, well screw the FDA, we can't trust the FDA and all this other stuff. Doesn't really matter what you say or what you think about them. It's just like the DMV. They have the license. You can go in there and be all pissed off at the FDA, but at the end of the day, the, FD, uh, the DMV is going to win. They're going to they're going to either hand you your license or not. But the 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 funny thing is is that you have to fill out the paperwork. So that's what I'm working on. I'm working at filling out the paperwork. Now, I've said this before, there's an old movie called Old School, but there's a scene in there where these guys go back to college and uh and, and they set up a giant party. And the thing is that these guys are work at an old-fashioned stereo shop. And so the city council is trying to figure out how these these this people got all of the, the, the permits and the justifications to have a wild rager in the middle of the street and, and, and just, you know, this wild rager. And the, the answer back in that movie is, ironically, they're very good with paperwork because they were all the stereo guys. And... That's kind of something I think about quite a lot. And, and this is the whole intention of what I am trying to do is to be good with the paperwork so 
that the raving party of uh, the whole vape world gets to continue. That's what I'm working on. I don't think anybody's working on anything like what I'm trying to do. Not a single group at all. So I feel comfortable in saying I can work with other groups. I can I can uh, do what I need to do. And I'm not displacing anybody. I'm not replacing anybody. And I'm not uh, vying for anybody else's resources. There's nobody doing what I'm doing. There's nobody else that has said, you know, I came out with this in, uh, in uh, November of 2014. I've been working on it since. There's nobody else going, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, don't don't even try that, uh, that thing with that wolf because, uh, you know, we're trying to do that. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. There is somebody else that said don't work with that wolf. And that's to me. And I played that clip. Uh, so uh, for whatever it is, uh, if, it, it, if it's going to be a feuding city-state, a battle between Greeks, uh, my family comes from the hills around Sparta. I'm told that those hills were never invaded and never taken, and it's all still good. I don't think it's... Somebody told me it's like Sicily, but I don't think so. Anyway, uh, I, will, I, will, I will defend my turf. Uh, at least I will try. But why, why am I talking about all this now? Why have I gone down this gigantic rabbit hole into the absurd? Because this week, after I listened to Dimitri going on and on and on about all of this stuff, how you need to worry about your labels, how it's all about the marketing to kids, how if we don't get all this stuff straight, the FDA is going to come and get us, because Mitch Seller told him that uh, that uh, you know this is what it, this is what the deal is, this is what the score, this is the down low. So Dimitri went off and created this whole vape free youth and did all this stuff and sold it to a lot of companies. I don't blame companies for for participating. I, I don't blame them at all because has sold people down the river left and right so i don't blame anybody you know uh, for this i i don't i don't uh, but i will speak out and say that nothing to do with ip infringement will ever be part of what you need to do to get your company to get past the fda never ever ever it will never happen the fda is going to not ever going to knock on your door going oh wow this seems to be like the coca-cola script that you're using the same script as coca-cola so your application is denied it's not going to happen so as i'm hearing all of this stuff and and then i go wow you know he is trying to help out everybody i see the guy and the guy again is dimitri the vaping greek uh, is over in the uk with David Dorn, and they are jumping up and down about CBDs. Now, if you don't know what a CBD is, it's a cannabis derivative oil, which most people believe is a drug. Now, a drug of cannabis, weed. And so, they're, they're, what the industry has done as a group, knowing the perils of being associated with anything vaping related that has to do with drugs, Every single show that I am aware of does not allow CBD in there. And uh, it, it's not allowed on the stage. It's not allowed to be touted. It's not allowed to be sold. It's not allowed to be given away. It's just not done. Now, I am aware that there are companies that may have a line of e-liquids under the same general corporate structure that are going to be for CBD. And they're also going to have a vape line. Now, and, and they're 
and they're two different things. That's fine. I don't care. I mean, in some of this, you know, this CBD is as currently regulated, although the FDA is supposed to be coming at these things, they're, they're looking at them really hard. Uh, maybe they just freed up some resources after this, but they're supposed to be looking at CBDs. So there is peril with selling CBDs. But if a company is selling CBDs and they're selling vape, no vapors care about that. Nobody thinks less of them. Everybody supports those companies for having two different product lines. That's fine. But the one thing that the vaping community has made a loud statement with is that it shall not be at these vape events. And we shall not be basically saying, oh, look, we could, we could use our devices for drugs or we could use them for nicotine. I'm using it for nicotine. We don't want to go down that path. We don't want to allow ourselves to be manipulated by the public health groups. Now, if people who've read the, the deeming documentation, if they've read them, they, they know that one of the arguments that is in the stuff that just came back is the argument against open systems put out by RJR. And so RJR is saying their argument is they can put CBDs or and or any assortment of drugs. They listed off a whole bunch of them. CBD is going to be one of them, though. They can just stick them into these tanks, and they'll be kids vaping, and they won't know what's going on. You'll, you'll see them in a the classroom. They'll vape, and you don't know if they're doing drugs or whatever. That's in the documents. That's what RJR is trying to use against open systems. And... And, you know, I, I just heard Dimitri today claiming that uh, RJR is wants the grandfather date changed, uh, just like all of us. It, that is the biggest bunch of horseshit I've ever heard. Why would a company the size of RJR that can handle any sort of grandfather item, any, any they, they can just deal with any of it. Why would they want that changed? So, so the little vape companies can continue in business and keep the status of uh, the vaping industry the same? Is that why? You know, that's what he's putting out. And it's a problem because RJR wants to cut off the heads of the vaping industry and reclaim the entire nicotine market for themselves. Uh, manifest destiny, if you will, for RJR. That's what they believe, and that's what damn straight their, their shareholders deserve. And so, for some reason, Dimitri doesn't recognize the threat from RJR. And he's doing that by saying, oh, look, well, they're helping out VTA, but their alliances are really all ours. So we'll come back to VTA. So this week, Dimitri takes the stage at a UK event, goes up there. Uh, you know, they're touting that uh, uh, Dave Dorn is talking about uh, how wonderful this CBD stuff is and how the TPD is not going to not going to go after it. Right. And uh you know, he's saying all of that stuff on the stage. And I'm like, well, wait, you know, we wouldn't do this in the United States. We, we're kind of, uh, you know, we, we have a rule about we don't want to have a whole bunch of people having loud music. And uh, we have a rule that we don't want to have uh, people screwing up the industry by, you know, showing CBDs on the stage. And so Dave Dorn is talking about the CBD stuff and how it's going to be unaffected by the... Uh, the uh, the TPD, that all may well be true, but this is a vape event. It's not a CBD event. And then uh, Dave Dorn, uh, you know, uh, 
what he does is he says, and I'll, you know, he describes how delicious and, and how, how these things don't get him high, but they just, you know, affect his muscles and it, and it makes him feel good. So then he takes a big toke out of his vaporizer and he, then he says, I can assure you that these things are delicious. So in fact, he is vaping CBD on the stage, espousing the virtues, virtues of CBD. Now you got Dimitri and some other twitless fucking morons on Facebook complaining left and right about all sorts of people's labels and you've got this the, the the head grand poobah of these fucking assholes that are going around doing all this putting shame in people left and fucking right and you got them up on the stage vaping cbds and that is something that can and will be used against this industry and it's already been used against this industry. If you've gone to any city hall uh, when they're when they're you know describing these things, they're saying we don't know what these kids might be doing in their classrooms. And you got the you've got the anti vaping people, the American Heart Association, American Lung Association, and they are prepared and and have their presentation materials ready. And you've got Dimitri and David Dorn just totally playing into their hands. Now then, it's not just, it doesn't just stop there as I'm watching this little horror film, you know, scroll by on YouTube, uh, you know, published out to the world, sure enough. Uh, th then, you, uh, then you see, uh, well, there was a good part. There was two dancing lesbians behind Dimitri as he's going on, and then they were like walking right by him. Uh, they were part of the stage show too. So, you know, they, I guess they weren't, weren't vape models per se, but they were, you know, two two awfully nice looking lesbians at least at least to me maybe i'm not you know maybe i'm not that hip uh but uh they seem to be lesbians and and, and the girl uh, one of them you know uh, bends over and shows her ass while dimitri's talking on the stage so that's the presentation we don't want to have vape models but we dancing lesbians yeah that's okay you know it, so long as i'm off in a foreign country and nobody might catch wind of it ah fine dancing lesbians but screw those fucking vape models that want to have a little contest uh as I said on a different show, every single one of these events is a damn sausage fest. And if every single vapor knows it, every single vapor knows that every single expo is a sausage fest. And the only women, for the most part, that are out there are store owners and business women. And, and there's some other ones there. I mean, we're talking about maybe there's 10, 15% maximum women. And I would say 10% of them are female business owners that are kicking butt, kicking butt in the industry. Nothing wrong with that. But it's a sausage fest, and so if some if some darling young damsels want to jump up and have a vape model contest, I swear, bless their hearts, you know, shout out to them, you know, Cam and and the rest of them, just bless. Don't let don't let any of these assholes think that we guys don't appreciate the effort to put on a nice little vape mark because I'm telling you the whole group 85% of the people so don't let a few bad apples ruin it for the rest it's it's a it's definitely PG you could run this stuff on the eight o'clock hour on TV it, it's all fine and, and thank you ladies uh, just know that I appreciate you uh, so going back to that he, he, Dimitri playing around with CBDs on the stage Dave Dorn vaping it describing that he is vaping CBD, dancing lesbians in the background. What could happen next? What could happen next? Well, Dimitri brings over a bottle 
of CBDs in a package. Now, I don't think it was Mountain Oak Vapors. I don't think Mountain Oak Vapors makes it, but it was made by somebody. And so he takes a free sample of CBD, hands it to David Dorn, and David Dorn acts like he's just been given a joint for the first time. He's like, woohoo, woohoo. And then he's, uh, he's like, oh, look, it's 250 mil. And so I had to look that up, or it's 250 mg. So I had to look it up. In the seat land of CBD, 250 is a number that designates it. So he gets, so they're giving, he, they're touting CBDs. They're talking about how you can't stop them. And then uh, they're giving away free samples on the stage and going nuts like that. You know, it's like I remember my first beer conversations. I mean, with Dancing Lesbians, let's, let's not forget that there were, there were highlights. Uh, but so you've got people screaming up and down about how all these people need to do all this stuff for the FDA and then they're then they're going to tell you how to deal with the FDA is the next thing they're going to create a vista they're going to create a a, a Sevia. so they're going to they're going to be the chairman of Sevia and take all the money from Sevia and and who knows what's going to go with that they're going to have the SFAs they're going to go and talk on their podcast like oh yeah i go to i go to uh, washington dc every single month yeah I, I don't think so buddy and uh so you know this is what is going on. I'm frustrated. And today, and today I was going to be very, very calm. Here's the problem with the Cole Bishop bill, and I'll, I'll try and get back on track, is if, well, how do I want to approach it? H.R. 2058 is not dead. Uh, we'll just deal with that. It's like, uh, what's that guy from, uh, uh, who's that one guy that, uh, Abe Vigoda. It's just like Abe Vigoda. Avigoda is not dead, uh, and neither is HR 2058. The, the reports of HR 2058's demise are greatly exaggerated. So that's number one. Uh, number two is that there is an alternate approach to do uh, what HR 2058 was trying to do, and it's trying to uh, play the Washington D.C. game, tag it into a giant appropriations bill, and see about trying to sneak it in to where you know when. The appropriation bill has to pass, and they're going to try and say, sort of shove it through and make sure that uh, that if the giant bill passes, that all these little riders and tack-ons have to go with it, and that nobody will ever really notice that there was this coming through. If you watch the hearings, there was a woman that was against uh, the, the Cole Bishop Amendment, and she said uh, something that I need to double-check, uh, but she said, and maybe the lobbyists can explain this, she said, this is clearly writing new law meaning that the amendments were writing new law and because it was an appropriations bill my conjecture is that she was saying an appropriations bill is to fund or not fund it is not to create new law and she was making the argument that it was out of procedure uh, it was out of order to be attempting this so uh, she again she spoke out she she looked like a den mother to a cub scout team but she had her shit straight and uh, I think that she was making that argument saying that that you can't create new law in an appropriations bill that's what I think she was but I could be wrong but that's what I think I'm not saying that's what happened I'm saying that's what I think currently if, and, and again, a lobbyist might be able to help me out with that. So uh, you have to now. Uh, so so you got that bill. Um, so let's just talk about the grandfather date change. Um, 
because that is a common thing between the two. And the grandfather date change will will make, take the February fifteenth, two thousand and seven date and put it some point into the future. I've seen stuff where it's not going to be totally defined that it could be two thousand and fifteen, but let's just assume it's the best case scenario unaired, and it's going to be August eighth of two thousand and sixteen is going to be the new grandfather date. Uh, everybody thinks that that is going to that's going to be the magic bullet. And so I'm taking a position now that nobody else has taken. And I will lay it out there. And I can take this position with confidence because I don't think everybody knows yet. I don't know yet. I'm not saying this is for certain. I can just go through what I think that the FDA is capable of doing and what I think is probable that the courts would allow them to do if a at the 11th hour and the 59th minute, a grandfather date change is changed, is put on. So here it is. One of the bills have passed and the grandfather date change has occurred. It is now August 8th, 2016. So the FDA, after all of its little planning and all of its regulatory discretion goes, well, we have to, this is now law. We have to change it. How are we going to change it? Uh, obviously, when we put out the deeming comments, uh, we didn't have anything like this. Uh, so we'll have to we'll have to you know massage this in, put it in somehow. What I what they were they're likely to do. What one thing that they could do is they're going to say, okay, well we had given all of these extended clocks to everybody. We, we're going to say that you have a two year grace period. And then after that, if you file your application, you get another year on top of that, that the, the three, the three years and the three years, uh, Kat York had said that I should stop talking about the three years. I'm not going to stop talking about it because that's when the FDA is saying three years, I'm going to hold them to their word. So if the FDA is going to try and say we're going to we're going to squish you around by uh, filling out uh, by ex rejecting your application after two years and one day and then you don't get your last year, uh, I mean I'm going to hold them to what they said they're going to do, which is give you a third year. And uh, so anyway, that in the first deeming document they said that you would have as long as it takes for dispositioning to stay on the market. They've changed that and that's something that needs to be discussed with the FDA as adults in the room rather than than how it's being addressed right now. So the FDA says, well, we had, we had give, given all of these extended clocks to everybody, but now that the grandfather date has changed, there's absolutely no reason to give uh, these extended clocks. Because everything that was on the market as of 2000 and, uh, August of 8th, 2016, is, is now officially grandfathered. There's no reason to give anybody extra time. There's, there's zero reason. And I, I think I would have to agree with that. If, if I'm just going to be a, a, a nonpartisan you know, uh, you know, uh, regulatory grunt and I'm just going to pick the law up and read it and, and say, well, you, you were giving all these two years to these people and now they changed it right at the end? Yeah, you don't need to give that to them anymore. They already got it. You don't need to pay them twice. That's what I would say. Uh, so that's what I think they would do. And I think that's a, there's a high chance they would do that. So what does that mean? is that after August 8th, that everybody has to file a PMTA, end of story. Whoever's on the market, you know, fine, but nothing new comes on the market after August 8th, right there, right away. 
Uh, and some people might say, oh, well, that, that's just the same case that it is now. Well, not really. It's, it's not really the same thing because there's a whole bunch of small business stuff and there's, there's other things that are going on. The FDA could also, uh, in their uh, wisdom and discretion, decide that, uh, fine, everybody's grandfathered, and then they're going to say, uh, document to me what your product was that is grandfathered in elusive detail, and uh, we need that stuff in uh, one month. Anybody that's grandfathered, give us all your documentation right away, right away. And so then you think you're all you know hot shit. You're gonna give them all your documentation. You're just give them your bills of lading. You're giving them their, your bills of material. You're gonna show your salaries and all your stuff. And and then you're gonna say here, here's a picture of my bottle. This is what I was selling, so I can show you that I'm on the market. And they're gonna take a look at your bottle and they're gonna say, well, I see it's in the magazine, but you know, as you know, uh, you have to have a child protection uh, uh, tamper evidence seal on your bottle. And I'm looking at Vape News Magazine or Vape Magazine or, or Vapon or any of these other things. And I, and they say, I don't see your seal in that. In the, so you're, doc, you're showing me that you were selling a product without a seal. All your documentation shows that. And uh, you have to go through substantial equivalence now. Sorry. Uh, so you thought you were just grandfathered, but you made a, a, a boneheaded error. And because the FDA has been forced to have a grandfather date change, they're just they're just not giving an inch. They're just going to use every single tool. Uh, and so anybody that's trying to work around the system, they're just going to put po you know just poach them. They're just going to pick them off left and right. That is a possibility of changing the grandfather date at the at this late date. There are all sorts of negative consequences that nobody is talking about that could occur with a grandfather date change. And, and the biggest one is, is for them to just remove all of the grace periods. And the second biggest one is for them just to say, any small change, you're popped and you have to go back into substantial equivalence. Now, uh, so then you have to do a substantial equivalence and... Uh, you know, you're not going to have any documentation with, filed with the FDA to show them that you are. So let's go through in a substantial equivalence to a predicate product that has been grandfathered. That is an e-liquid product. Again, let's go through an substantial equivalence pathway application to a grandfathered predicate product that is e-liquid or, or a vapor product. It's grandfathered. You've got no documentation into the FDA, zero, but you're grandfathered. Now you're going to say, I, I just want to show you that I'm exactly like that. And the FDA goes, oh, and they see, here's the thing. You, you've got these idiots like Nocknor, some guy named Patrick out there just running his mouth, you know, and he's just so fucking wrong on too many things for him to be just blasting me like he did today. Oh, excuse me. I'm butthurt. <sighs> They're going to say, you're going to try and file a substantial equivalence to a grandfather product, but that grandfather product doesn't have anything, no documentation, because it's grandfathered. So the only way to show that you are substantially equivalent to your grandfather product is to document all of the data that you need to be substantially equivalent. You essentially, uh, you have to show them what you're equivalent to. And that means you're going to have to generate nearly everything you would for a PMT anyway. You're going to have to show them toxicology. You're going to have to show them all of this stuff to, to use the SE exemption, uh, the, the SE pathway. And that's because you never filed anything 
for your for the grandfather products. There's no data set. You can say, oh, we're just like it. Take a look. And do you think a teacher is going to let you turn that project in? They're going to laugh at you. It's like uh, the, 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 the definition of meaningless is meaningless. No, you can't use the definition and the word in describing what the definition of a word is. It's standard Webster's 101. So if you get the grandfather date change, people can just nail you if they so choose. Now, you can make a calculation that the FDA and all these people that have been working on this stuff at the FDA are just, you know, mindless drones and aren't going to take it personally. But I don't think that's the case. I think they'll take it personally. I think that you run a real risk of pissing off the FDA by changing the grandfather date. And I'm not talking about Zeller. I'm talking about the guy in the bowels of the FDA that is that is working on these these SC pathways and all this and these applications and he goes, "Oh yeah, you know, I thought, you know, they're making me do all this work. Well, I'm just going to reject it, Joe. Joe, do you mind if I reject this?" And Joe, uh, you know, yells back to him, "No, I just rejected four of them. Make them do an SC." And that's what's going to happen. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. That's stupid of me. That is what could happen. You have to think about the guys that are working 9 to 4, and I'm using Washington, D.C. hours. I think they get in at 9 and leave at 4. They don't work 8 to 5 uh, like most people, but there's problems with D.C. There's no question. Uh, But these guys working their 9 to 4 jobs, you know, what what's what how you think anybody's gonna sweat it if you go uh we we want we're want to uh, uh we're grandfathered or, or we want to file a uh, a PMTA uh, we I'm sorry I'm I'm all mixed up with my terms we want to file an SE uh a pathway in in a year's time um because we know it's going to be cheaper and the FDA will just go yeah and, and what is it equivalent to oh it's it's equivalent to my other product and what's your other product made of. Uh, well, it's it's made of these ingredients. You got my ingredient listing. I gave you that. And, and then he goes, well, how is it made? Where is it made? And uh, what are all the things, uh, you know, uh, what's your label look like? Uh, and uh, are you using ISO standards? Uh, do you have a chain of custody for your uh, nicotine? And the guy goes, well, no. I was grandfathered, so uh, you don't. I don't. You don't need me to turn in that. And the FDA kind of laughs at you, but you know they have the phone on mute. And then they say, "No, sir, uh, we're going to have to get that information from you. So uh, let me refer you to the uh, special small business person that will aid you. And uh, they will. You'll probably get frustrated with them because they're going to tell you hey, you have to fill out the paperwork." So at some point, people are going to have to fill out the paperwork. It's going to happen at some point. Uh, It's just of when it's going to happen. Now, right now, with the way the FDA is talking, is that they've got Public Health England out there, and they've got uh, the Royal College of Physicians saying, hey, by the way, guys, uh, you should be recommending these things as products. And that is not lost on the FDA. And the FDA is going, well, you know... uh, we would probably like to be able to help some of these guys out if they're not going to be royal assholes to us because nobody likes a royal asshole. And, uh, but, but guess what? They just ripped, they just, they just by, by crawing at us, just got the substantial equivalent date changed. And uh, they're assholes, so fuck them. Um, that's just all basic human nature. So I'm not, I'm not, all I'm saying is that the FDA certainly has a chance of being human in all of this. So let's go back to the Cole Bishop bill and and the other grandfather. The grandfather date is trying to get it done. It's just basically saying, we're going to change the grandfather date. And 
And I think that, that any reasonable person is going to go, well, if they can get that down through and they're going to get that through just as a raw bill, okay, we'll accept that because somehow just that one aspect was done. And so I think that the, the, coal, the HR 2058 is a earnest, honest bill. It's clean as day. It has 53 different co-sponsors out of 420, 435. And so what is what is 50 of 400? Uh, what is that? Uh, something like uh, 12%? I'm going to guess 12%. 12% of the, uh, of the current sitting Congress is in favor of this. 12%. Hell, that's that's five uh, percent higher than uh, the congressional, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, public opinion of them. Uh, do you like the, the the public opinion of Congress is, I believe, something at like seven percent right now. Uh, nobody likes Congress, but but of these, you got twelve percent of them, and and their constituents seem to love all these guys. So there's a chance that you can you can snowball this thing up. You, 53 is a, is a good size snowball and, and you know if you can get this thing momentum running it's still good it's a good one it's a clean one and it's honest it's not fucking around and it's not using people fucking around to shove it through so either it'll pass on its own merits or it won't but I think it's much less of a chance to fucking piss people off and I, I am saying that's important so you got uh, you got now let's talk about the Cole Bishop so Cole Bishop and here's what I don't like about what VTA has done is that they have added all of these things which they call sweeteners in. And sweeteners are concessions to the anti-vaping groups to get them to go along with the program. And so what what is what Dimitri and and Krupp are doing is they're 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 spinning this yarn that somehow the Cole Bishop uh, amendment somehow displaces and replaces the entire Tobacco Control Act that the deeming is. They, they, they go, oh yeah, don't, wouldn't you like to be not regulated as a tobacco product? And they sell it that way. The problem is, you can't do that. It's, that's not even on the table. And, and this, dear sweet God, if, if I am wrong on this, somebody please tell me. But there is nothing even close to saying that we will not be regulated out by the Tobacco Control Act and the deeming. All of that is there. It's not going away. There's not a chance it's going to be thrown away. And, and, and the legal chances of getting it dismissed are slim to none. And slim to none is about 5% chance uh, to, uh, of getting it removed too. So we're going to be regulated by the Tobacco Control Act. It's going to happen. In fact, frankly, it is currently active and happening at this very second. We are controlled and defined as a tobacco product and being regulated as such today at this very minute. So they're, they're, it's being sold as, well, if you just give them these concessions in the Cole Bishop bill, then we won't have to be treated like tobacco. I heard Dimitri, you know, just yakking about saying that, wouldn't you like to be not regulated as tobacco? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, yeah, great, it is. But, you know, that's charlatan stuff. It's not going to happen. And so you see the concurrent language of the Cole Bishop bill where it says like something, uh, you know, for a vapor product, 
it can't be sold through vending machines. And then people go, well, look, that's just like what's inside of the deeming, the final rule. The deeming says you can't sell it through a vending machine either. So what's the harm there, guys? It's just no vending machine, no vending machine. Well, the harm is, and I think it's obvious, the harm is, is the creation of a vapor product standard. So the vapor product can't be sold in a vending machine. That's just like a tobacco product that can't be sold in a vending machine. No, it's not. There are two different definitions that are operating on the same thing. Now, people might think, well, is there a double jeopardy? Can you have two different laws operating on the same thing? Yes, you can. Can the FDA do both of those things against the same product? If they have got two laws, can they, can they use both laws concurrently at the same time and at their discretion of which one they want to use? You know, if they define us as a vapor product, can they, can they do all that stuff to us even though do they have to pick one or the other? The answer is no. They get to use both. They can use both if they want to use both, and they will. So what the Bishop Cole bill does is creates a... It creates a new standard, the vapor product standard, and then it says what they will do with that. And the first thing it does, it says that uh, any batteries being used in this vapor product uh, must be safe. So for a battery to be safe in a vapor product, any bit of, of, of the chip, the coil, all that stuff is controlled uh, by uh, the new regulations. The new regulations give hardware, and maybe maybe this is why Butthurt be my name today, is because I've been fighting off this hardware stuff for a long time now, and, and I think that I'm absolutely on, on the point, on the money, absolutely correct, that if your product doesn't have nicotine, they cannot regulate it as a piece of hardware through the Tobacco Control Act. And if we all heard Mitch Zeller, he'd all told you the same thing, as, long, as, as well as the, the people in the room with him. You just heard that. So I'm just saying it again. So I don't think it's controversial because they said it. I'm saying it. Why don't people believe it? We'll find out, you know, we'll find out how they regulate it. But, you know, they there's such a thing called bluster. And the FDA is going to say, you know, uh, we're going to try and do a whole bunch of stuff. But, you know, th th some of that is uh, public relations with the anti-vaping groups, too. They can only do what they can do. And, and they can only do what the law allows. So if you create a new vapor product standard that is is being controlled uh dimitri uh or should we come up with a different name uh how should i say sevia because sevia is sevia he's the chairman of sevia i know i'm sorry dimitri i'm just gonna say your name but i'm when i say your name i'm i'm, I'm meaning it as your businesses uh and that's so uh dimitri incorporated maybe i'll say it that way uh i don't know what would make everybody happy? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think it, I, nobody's going to be happy with me. So I'll just say who's saying it uh, out in the public uh, square. And that, that is Dimitri. Uh, so when Dimitri is telling people that you have to, that when Dimitri is telling people that wouldn't you like to be regulated as your own product? Wouldn't you like to be, uh, you know, not a part of tobacco, not part of smoke? There are no proposals on this face of this earth or in Washington, D.C. that does anything like that. 
the Cole Bishop bill is not an alternative to the deeming. So let me say that again. The Cole Bishop bill, the new product standards, are not alternatives to the deeming. They are additional, new, and rather creative ways, considering the battery language, to exert regulatory authority. Uh, the audio should be back. I believe it's back. I encourage you, since you love to bash me in the chat room, that this could, could well be not a show that you enjoy. And I would encourage you to scroll on and uh, you know keep on going. Uh, there's other shows here on this network that that might be your cup of tea, uh, but if you uh, if you don't uh, if you don't like this show, uh, I don't know why you're just in the room saying what you're saying. But it's a free country, so now I did with all of that lose my chain of thought. There are no bills or any regulation or any effort that is removing the regulatory authority of the Tobacco Control Act over vaping products. What the Cole Bishop bill does is it creates new and novel authorities over vaping products that will be used in conjunction, in addition, and simultaneously with all the current laws. So the deeming stays. Just, just everything in the deeming remains. So if you, you have to believe that, because that is true. If somebody wants to tell me it's not true, that would be absolutely fantastic. But I'm saying there is no way on earth that the deeming goes away. It's there. It's active. The only thing you can do, maybe, is, is a Hail Mary lawsuit. And, and that's not going to work either, uh, most likely. Uh, although, let me just say, I support the effort for the lawsuits. I, I think that... Uh, it's it's basically you pay your cash and you get your result, uh, and the result is highly likely to not work. But uh, it's like insurance, you know, you it, it, you hope to not use it. Uh, in this case, you hope that it, anyway, you get the point. I do support the lawsuits, um, and I hope they can be done efficiently and then done organized, and uh, that people that that the lawyers all get together uh, and and work together now. The best case scenario uh, for the accuracy and the availability of lawyers is uh, if you look at when they walk up uh, and they make their arguments at the to the judge, in the eyes of the court, for the entire universe of lawyers, half of them are always wrong. Always. Consistently. And you just don't know which one you're going to get. It's a coin flip at best because half the lawyers lose every time half of them win every time you just don't know you just don't know uh, but then the odds of a case like this getting rejected by the judge are also high again I support the lawsuit the uh, any of them uh, and uh, funding uh, go figure uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't have the money to bankroll one I'm sorry uh, but uh, I do support them uh, the deeming um, let me see if I can, I don't want to get my train of thought back. Just hold on a second. So, going back to this, you have to, <laughs> probably should have started like this. Uh, you, with the Cole Bishop Amendment, you have to assume 
because it is true that all of the current deeming laws will apply to vaping. What the Cole Bishop bill, it gives you the promise of the benefits of a grandfather date change. And that, when I say promise, is by no means are the benefits of a grandfather date change a set in stone. It's it because the regulatory flexibility of the FDA that they gave these two years granting it, they can easily rescind that. And the court, I believe, would support the rescission of that because the whole time clocks, if you start playing with the clocks, all the clocks up and down the PERT chart or the Gantt chart, whatever you want to call it, are, are going to all flex. And so if you change the, the starting one, everything flexes along with it. And that, that's, you know, manufacturing 101, right? So you can't, you can, if you change the grandfather date, it's just not a guarantee. So, but that's the promise. But what comes along with that promise is you could lose, um, you could, you will lose, as currently written, the ability to advertise in just about every single magazine. And that is not in the deeming. So, uh, you know, you lose your right to advertise and, and freedom of expression. And and I don't know. I mean, I'm uh, thinking that this uh, the vaping industry is going to last uh, many years. I don't think it's about to die. Uh, I think it's going to last many years. So you're 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 for for the smokers that were pushed out into the rain by the trash cans 50 feet away from the door. Uh, I guess uh, that that type of treatment for your print journal advertising. You, you get to sign up for that. And I guess you say, at least it's, it's not raining on me. Uh, but that you lose a right. And I, I don't think that's something that should just be given away, especially because it's a good product. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a healthy product, if you will. Uh, I, I, I use it as a supplement, as I've said before. Uh, there's very strong data that says that... Uh, Nicotine is a prophylactic to Parkinson's to the degree of about 30% of people. Since I've had two, a grandmother and a grandmother, uh, a grandmother and a mother that had Parkinson's, if I can reduce my chance of getting Parkinson's by 33% by being an active or former smoker, as the study shows, I think it might be worth, a, you know, vaping some nicotine daily. And it, and it's and it's a good it's it's not different than caffeine it's pretty much the same thing, anyway. Uh, so you lose your right to advertise. You also create a new definition. So the FDA will be able to say uh, they'll be able to go after hardware, and they'll be able to go after hardware based upon nicotine. Now here's something that I that people are not talking about with the Cole Bishop bill either. It defines nicotine as Wait for it. Wait for it. Nicotine. And, and and for you fans of Sesame Street, what is the difference between how the Cole Bishop bill... I should start with this. What's the difference between how the Cole Bishop bill defines nicotine and how the, uh, the deeming defines nicotine? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller, one in the, the the tobacco one defines nicotine 
as derived from tobacco. It's nic- it's tobacco derived nicotine is the definition we're currently in. And we've got, you know, TFN, tobacco free nicotine. Uh, I've said that I'm going to bring uh, Roland True Williams from Hold Fast Vapors to talk about his product, uh, uh, Sour Dream, on in a future show uh, I'm, and talk about TFN because I think it's a positive for the entire industry. Want to do that. Uh, but uh, under the tobacco. Uh, under the tobacco product standard, I believe that exclusion based and premised upon tobacco is removed. And I've got a whole bunch of documents open. Hopefully, let me just check that. Um, We'll do it on the fly. Uh, Annual registration. Uh, Oh, that's another thing about this. You have to do an annual registration if you're a vapor, vapor product. Nobody has, and it says only if your state doesn't make you do it now. Well, the thing is, there's no such thing as a vapor product standard for the for the most part, unless maybe some state did something. I guess maybe I'm wrong there. But you're gonna have to you have to you have to register too. They have to do that. A definition of vapor product. Here's what the coal bill creates. As used in this act, the term vapor product means any combustible. No, any non-combustible product that employs a heating element, power source, electronic cigarette, or other electronic, chemical, or mechanical means regarding, regardless of shape or size, to produce vapor from nicotine in a solution or other form. So, my memory was correct. It defines nicotine in the coal bill as nicotine only. That means TFN is nicotine. Any nicotine is nicotine. That's a big deal. That is a big deal because there is a scenario where tobacco tobacco freaking nicotine, uh, tobacco-free nicotine is a, uh, a killer app. It, it is a needed solution. It is something that uh, basically you use that product and you're in the game or you don't use that product and you're out of the game. It could be something as critical as that. Now, I don't know how, how tightly wound up they've got their patents. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe somebody else can do the same thing somehow other way. I mean, usually, uh, but they'll certainly have first mover advantage. So they're, they're probably in pretty good standing. Uh, but... Uh, right now, uh, you know, all, all, you know, shit hits the fan. Everybody freaks out. What the hell are we going to do? Well, right now, I believe if I'm using tobacco-free nicotine, uh, and by the way, I want access to it. Uh, no, I'm just, anyway. Uh, <laughs> if I'm using tobacco-free nicotine, I think that... I don't have to fill out anything for the deeming. There is a chance where where if you're daring enough, you can just say, I've read the law. I don't, I'm, the, the law doesn't cover me. I understand that you've just regulated tobacco. I understand that it used to be the Wild West, but I've read the law and I'm still in the Wild West. Um... I will uh, be a good business, pay all my taxes, uh, fill out all my OSHA paperwork. I will uh, pay my uh, my uh, my uh, Social Security taxes. I will uh, do everything with my employees. I will have the happiest employees. 
and I'll pay all my taxes and donate to the city fund and, uh, you know, all that stuff. But as far as I can tell, none of these laws by the FDA apply to me for good reason, because I don't use any tobacco. I fucking hate tobacco. I'll just not put in my applications and wait for them to talk to me. And I think that would be perfectly legal. I'm not a lawyer. I've litigated. I've fought cases before judges. But I'm not a lawyer. Uh, so don't take any legal advice from me. But if I, if I was a small business, I, I would say I, I'm, not, I'm not covered by the act. I'm using tobacco-free nicotine. I have no tobacco. I'm not part of the regulations. I am an unregulated product. But I am the best business person in the world. And I... Uh, I donate to the Little League. That's what I would do. I mean, because people are people. But, uh, so that's one thing. I'm, I'm, I'm being, uh, what's the right word? Uh, I'm, I'm being uh, gregarious? Uh, or something like that. But, I, 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 you know, I, I'm saying it humorously, but at the same time, I'm 100% serious. <laughs> 100% uh, because I don't think tobacco-free nicotine is covered currently as written until we get further clarification and we just listened to the Mitch Zeller conference where he said I can't give you further clarification because it's going to be a one-by-one -one basis if I'm a small company I think that means that that uh, I think it's obvious what that means uh, so what the Cole Bishop bill is takes that uh, that fail-safe solution uh, out of the hands of the vapors, out of the hands of the vaping community, out of the hands of the small businesses. It takes it away. All the people that, that could have used that as a life raft, it gets taken away by the Cole Bishop Amendment. All of it does. So while it sounds like, you know, I am the biggest fan of tobacco-free nicotine, uh, I'm just saying, you know, I'm told it costs 40, uh, sorry, 20 times more expensive. It, it's going to add a significant margin into the, uh, into the, uh, the product. I'm told that it, uh, it tastes better though. Uh, and again, I'll bring on, bring on the guy that makes sour dream and we'll talk about it. Uh, maybe he'll give me some. Um, so, um, that's a big deal. I, I'm just saying it's it's a big deal. The Cole Bishop Amendment takes away the defense of tobacco, and tobacco is well defended. Uh, you know, tobacco is a deadly product, and they are bunkered in. And to me, when I see RJR and Reynolds and and all these other tobacco and cigar companies, to me, what it looks like is happening is that they are saying, "Why, why is why are cigar people?" Because Dimitri today is saying, "Oh, you know what? The cigar people are our friends, and they are so friendly to us." What it looks like to me is that the cigar people are teamed up with the cigarette people and they're like kicking us out into the rain and they're like fend for yourself you assholes fend for your fucking self and see how you like it and you know that's because we're right now we're under an umbrella of, of the bastard the the bastards of tobacco we're under that umbrella we benefit from all those assholes screwing with all the people selling all those terrible dastardly products and we just happen to be you know the little angel product that that is good as gold because we're, we're 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 public health england loves us so does uh the royal college of, uh, royal college of physicians we're a fantastically healthy great product and tobacco is you know cigar people are i guess shove them out there let them fend for themselves let them try and defend nicotine all by itself you know we've never had to do that but let them try it let, let them you know sit and spin on that is what they're doing 
So I, I don't believe Dimitri for a second that when he claims that Big Tobacco uh, it wants the grandfather date changed. Of course they don't. They don't need it changed. They can they can deal with anything. And if it, if it if it is as dire as everybody says, Big Tobacco would only benefit from a bad grandfather date change. And and everybody has said that for the last three years. Everybody says that that the only people that can survive are are the uh, t- big tobacco companies. You look at every single press release from Safada, every single press release from Greg, every time Greg Conley is quoted in a news story, it says that the only people will that will be able to survive is big tobacco, who will be able to deal with a grandfather date change. Today, fucking Einstein uh, Dimitri is like, oh, he wants to do his fucking little rant, you know, and, and these are fucking baby rants, I tell you, Dimitri. You got some real baby shit rants going on, but you come on and you and you want to do your rant and you want to self-proclaim that the big tobacco wants the grandfather date changed. That is the biggest piece of horse shit that could be sold. Why are you selling that to a vaping community that is looking for answers? Because I tell you, there's no fucking way that the big tobacco gives a shit about the the grandfather date. It doesn't affect them squat. It only affects their competitors significantly. So suddenly, Dimitri today thinks that Big Tobacco wants the grandfather date changed because Big Tobacco will be the only people that will survive if the grandfather date doesn't change. Do you see a problem with the logic of that sentence? Big Tobacco is the only people that will survive if the grandfather date changes, so therefore Big Tobacco wants the grandfather date changed. You're going to fail that on an SAT test there. You're not going to pass. It's a fucking dumb idea. It's a dumb concept, and you shouldn't be selling this idiotic shit to the to the vaping community that is looking for answers. I'm sorry, I don't understand where all of this is coming from. I thought that we were fine. Oh, we had everything. your head is running wild again, my dear. We still have everything. So going back to VTA, uh, so I did get a good call from one of the people over there, and uh, as I've already said, and here's the problem with VTA, is that the giant elephant in the room 
is that VTA doesn't seem to want to get along with people, but then has people on Facebook uh, jumping up and down how everybody should be cohesive and work together and, and everybody has to uh, be a part of the same team. Um, and the only problem with everybody trying to be a part of the same team because I've seen people out there that are saying, we all have to work together because if we don't all work together, then we're all not going to make it. Well, you know, that's a recipe for disaster because, you know, you could get a lot of people to work together, uh, but you're never going to get all people to work together. It's just not going to happen. So if you say, oh, we all have to work together or we'll never make it, that just means that we're never going to make it. It's just simple logic. I mean, you're, you're going to have people doing different things. So um, you want to have, there There are people there that are frustrated that there's a division of so many different, uh, division's the wrong word, that there is a uh, plethora of so many different groups that they don't know how to uh, allocate their funds for advocacy. So then it just becomes a simple case of analysis, paralysis, and they don't do anything. VTA they're they're fast into the system. They they're using the old lobbyists from Safada. They're doing a lot of things. They're trying to do a lot of communications, but they haven't bothered to show how they can be integrated with the other groups out there. They're kind of uh I don't know uh if they've got something to prove. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh but they haven't done the basics. Uh, of, of trying to integrate with the community they report, purport to represent. Uh, so that's something that they desperately need help with. Now, what they've done is that they're saying that HR 2058 is dead, and Dimitri declared it dead today. Uh, and you know, he's declared it many times. He's saying HR 58 is dead. Uh, get over it guys. It's, it's in the ground, uh, move on. Uh, and, uh, I don't think that's the case, nor is that a good position for VTA to be pushing out there. Uh, and VTA's, uh, lobbyist was on the call with Dimitri today. And, uh, so I, I just think that's a it's not a good message. It's not a wise message. It's not a finessed message and it's not a message without with nuance and, and clarity of purpose. It's just kind of winging it. And so if you have a, a new lobbyist that was a former lobbyist of a known organization and they're and it kind of feels like they're winging it, that's gonna could produce lack of confidence in a community looking for results. And so then, when you when you put out the proposition of creating an entirely new deeming to deem vapor products as a vapor product while not removing them from being a tobacco product and doubling the amount of regulations and potential regulations that can be used on the industry and then doing that with the kind and gentle assistance of RJR Reynolds, who has sold uh, Dimitri on on the concept that RJR wants to change the grandfather date so everybody will be able to behave. It just, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Now, 
I, you know, uh, I was having a dialogue with Steve Nair, who works for Mountain Oak Vapors, and he was explaining to me how Mountain Oak Vapors has nothing to do with uh, TSFA, and, and they don't have anything to do with uh, TFSFA uh, being a part of uh, a VTA. And there's, I believe there's some miscommunication going on over at in the corporate headquarters of Mountain Oak Vapors, uh, because my understanding is that when VTA put out a press release and said that we have 70 members, that those 70 members were comprised entirely, if not, if not, if not entirely, a large number of those were the companies that are constituents of of TSFA, the Tobacco Smoke-Free Association, which is run by Dimitri and some guy, I think his name's Eric or, or something like that. Uh, so that's my understanding. And I think I saw a press release and, and that uh, v VTA has TSFA. TSFA has 70 members. So thus T uh, VTA puts out a press release saying we have 70 members when it's really just TSFA. And so, so Steve, I, I'm pretty sure that it's TSFA, and I'm pretty sure that Mountain Oak Vapors is part of, of uh, is is part of the TSFA. So, uh, and when you listen to Dimitri, where he's essentially representing VTA out um, as if he's got some sort of function there, uh, although I don't think he does. But he's also put out a press release that Sevia is working with VTA. I think Mr. Nair uh, of Mountain Oak Vapors. I believe that that you need to to check your information because I know he said to me on Facebook that he's a member of a lot of different organizations, and I have no reason to disbelieve that. But I believe that ipso facto and uh, and de facto, essentially, that. Mountain Oak Vapors is aligned closely with VTA. Now, I am absolutely happy to look for clarification on that. I don't want it to sound, uh, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so, but if I, I, this was a conversation that was happening yesterday and, and the conversation got shut down. So Steve and I weren't able to complete it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, he, he said that he, he would never trust my legal opinion on anything. Um, and so that's fine, uh, and I don't mind that. However, if there is a different set of lawyers that want to take a look to say, at this whole vapor product standard, if you can get a lawyer that says that the vapor product standard uh, pushed by VTA in the Cole Bishop Amendment is not a bunch of new regulations that get put onto uh, vapors for, forevermore, not just for two years, but forever, that this whole new category of regulations gets put onto us. And all of that is for the hope of the promise of the capability of the grandfather date change, which I'm saying if it happened, the FDA would be within its discretionary principles to retract the entire set of the two-year grace periods. And uh, while you think that you've got something at, at an exchange, you really have got a big bag of, uh, of, uh, of popcorn. You got a big bag of popcorn, and uh, that's not going to make a meal. That's not going to last you. Something like that. Uh, so I am not confident that a grandfather date change is, is going gonna, is gonna to do what it needs to do. I just, I'm just not confident of it. Uh, and... and uh, 
I'm also not confident it's going to pass, but I'm, I'm under the assumption that it could pass. Uh, but I'm more concerned about this bill moving forward and, and getting support. The Cole Bishop, uh, and, and the Cole Bishop moves forward, and then we get deposited all of these new additional regulations out of it, and then at the last minute, they hack out the grandfather date. They, they said, we horse traded out the grandfather date, we left everything else, and since the vapor companies were all running up and down saying to support this, we thought if they, were, if they really didn't support every bit of it, they would have told us, this is a congressman speaking to you right now, uh, my constituents all told me that they wanted the Cole Bishop bill. Sure, we took out the grandfather thing, but, but it was clear to me that they loved every part of that. So we, the, the, the whole, all the new regulations part that they wanted, they so desperately wanted, we put that in for them. What are you, what are you telling me my vote? I shouldn't have voted that way. That's going to happen. I mean, it's, I, I shouldn't say it's going to happen, but that could well easily happen that the, the grandfather date is ripped out and we're left with a whole new set of regulations. And now when this first thing came out, when I was talking against it and people were giving me a grief because I said I listened to them and they're, they're talking about it banning flavors. No, seriously, I, should I put out a video? You don't believe me? Okay, here it is. You still don't believe me? No, they're talking about banning flavors. That's this Cole Bishop mill where they said the only balance to it banning flavors is people saying well it's not in the language and 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 something in the language can always suddenly appear in the language when it's reconciled between the assembly and the senate is what i i, I would think but uh so you get you end up getting left with all of this new regulation and it's new regulation it's it's just a mighty risky thing for vtba to be proposing and then for them to be all hemming and hawing and and oh gosh golly gee yeah we did have rjr uh you know helping us looking over our shoulder telling us how to write this language for the batteries I mean, it, there's a lot of people that think that the FDA and these anti-vaping groups are really stupid idiots and all that stuff. But, you know, I won't, I won't ever think that. I think they might be doing things that are dumb, but I don't think they're stupid. And, and I think that they've got a lot of vicious, evil advisors. And, uh, I mean, th there's a lot, of, a lot of bad stuff with these groups, so you shouldn't underestimate them. And so that's always in the back of my head. So when this bill came out from... VTA and it's being pushed and the vaping the anti-vaping groups were absolutely dead silent on it it still freaks me out it's an eerie quiet it's it's like in, if you're watching a horror movie and you watch the people walk out into the middle of the road going isn't it great we just got our vapor product standard and then the you know the monster come and crushes them you know Godzilla comes out I mean that's that's what it feels like it feels like to me that's the sense that's the feeling I get from it. Uh, I don't like it. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good that Stanley Glantz uh, out of UCSF is not going, well, this, this, this is an outrage that con Congress would even consider it. I mean, does not does it not bother anybody else that, that Glantz and the ALA and all these people, when they're looking at this Cole Bishop bill, which is supposed to be the greatest news for vaping, you know, everybody's, don't, aren't you concerned that Glantz and company aren't, saying don't do it freaks me out it surely does so i think that's about the show i i, I uh i think that's the show
we had uh, we as a, as a show summary is that uh, we had uh, listened to Mr. Uh, Mr. Mitch Zeller of the Center for Tobacco Products who uh, gave a very detailed, surprisingly detailed and well-articulated presentation of what the deeming was. And, and they announced kind of novel things that there's going to be little FDA ambassadors that are going to be helping out the vaping industry. I haven't put in my call yet, but you, you can believe me that, uh, that uh, I will. I will uh, definitely raise my hand and say, you've got, you've got an assistant for me? Do I have to pay you for the assistant? Nope. Okay, sign me up. Tell me what the, you know, give me my advice. I'm a small business. I need your help. I'll sign up for that in a second. So you got some stuff like that in the call, and then we we went there, and we then explained how, uh, you know, uh, Dimitri is most likely very, very wrong about Big Tobacco wanting to change the grandfather date to save the vaping industry. We went over that, and uh, we went over uh, that it's probably not a good idea for uh, David Dorn and Dimitri to be uh, selling CBDs on the stage of a vape event when everybody in the vaping community, Dimitri, knows that you don't promote and give away free samples of CBD at vape events. It's just not done because it will be exploited against us more than a nice rack on the stage will be, for sure. So uh, maybe you and Dorn need to go and purge that tape off the internet. And then we talked about uh, why VTA is kind of not in step with what's going on in the industry and uh, that they probably need to, uh, to, to, to gain their bearings and, and talk to people and do something differently. Um, and it could just be a fait accompli. Who knows? Uh, my, uh, somebody called me from VTA, a, a, good, uh, a good guy from, uh, from, the, from the EU. Tony didn't call me. Um, happy to take your phone call. You got my number. And uh, we talked about uh, the dangers of the of the predicate date change. That if the predicate date changes, it doesn't just mean the predicate date changes. It's like a mobile in front of uh, a baby in a crib. If you take the top string and then you move that string, all of that junk hanging down from it changes. And in this case, the parent might just get really pissed off that somebody's messing around with the mobile and just pull out a set of scissors and cut everything off except the top part and say, here, stare at this mobile now. So the FDA could, in its regulatory authority and discretion enabled by the law, absolutely 100% rescind the two-year grace periods because of a stating that because of the change, there's no way to do this. We were instructed by Congress to clamp down on the Wild West, and uh, and they need to do that. So the, changing the grandfather date has risk. It's not a, just a freebie. And I know people, nobody else has said that that I'm aware of. I know it's not going to be popular uh, for people that I know that know me that they're, they're going to go, well, don't say that. Uh, it's too late. Uh, and it's also something that I believe. So we talked about that. Uh, we talked about uh, we talked about uh, this whole new vapor product standard. That if you create a vapor product standard, it does not replace the current deeming. What it does is create a whole bunch of new rules that will apply to you concurrently. There is no D D Demetrius says that we there's some sort of potential to get regulated under a new thing that we won't be treated like smoke 
No, that's not true. The ship has sailed. There's nothing on the table proposed or even even in the remote eyes of a, of a congressman or any lobbyist that is going to remove the Tobacco Control Act from affecting vapor. So the problem with the Cole Bishop bill is that it, it, it creates a parallel structure and that parallel structure is not without harm all by itself and even if the grandfather date change is a temporary thing we're stuck with all of the remaining things out of that Cole Bishop bill that were written by RGAR uh, to uh, that will affect the industry for a very long time to come for example advertising for example nicotine Nicotine is currently defined as nicotine derived from tobacco, not with the vapor product standard that VTA is pushing. All nicotine becomes controllable by the FDA. And wouldn't they love that? So here's the summary, the super summary, the nutshell summary. The Cole Bishop bill as written gives, if passed, would give the FDA control over all forms of nicotine vaporized, whether it be vegetable-based, synthetic-based, uh, a, a box fell off a truck and it says nicotine-based, any form of nicotine will be controlled with the new vapor product standard as proposed by VTA with the kind assistance of RJR. And we will be stuck with that if it is not addressed. And there it is. So I'm against that bill. I am against that bill in its current form. So now am I advocating that that bill die and uh, that HR 2058 go forward? Uh, shouldn't I be supporting both? Well, no. And that's, that's the whole argument. You should not be supporting both. You need to look at the details. Everybody needs to look at the details. Find music.